Welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. I'm Pamela Clark, founder and director of the New Heights Educational Group. And I'm here with David Smith, the founder of Silicon Valley High School, who has helped us get these podcasts produced and delivered to you. Yes, Pamela, when we saw the great things that you and your army of volunteers were achieving at New Heights, we wanted to get involved. We're happy to work with you to leverage the internet and make quality education accessible and affordable to everyone, everywhere. Thank you, David. We appreciate Silicon Valley High School helping us to get these podcasts out to the hundreds of thousands of listeners from all over the world. So I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the New Heights Show on Education. Today we're going to be talking about private schools and public schools. <clears throat> but before we begin, we do have announcements, as always. Right now, you might be struggling through your classes or even failing them. You might be worried that you may not finish high school. There might have even been a thought that you may not be smart enough. Well, the New Heights Educational Group begs to differ. We not only think you are smart enough, but with our help, you will complete your high school diploma. The New Heights Educational Group strives to improve your academic success through its tutoring services. To learn more, please visit newheightseducation.org and contact us. New Heights Educational Group educational resources to help reach your goals. Hello, I'm back. Thank you for bearing with me. The echo seems to be gone, thankfully. And now we can begin on with our topic of the day and our announcements, which again is public schools versus private schools. For those who do uh, not choose to homeschool their children, it's good to evaluate some options for their children um, other than homeschooling. So we're going to review that today. To call in to speak with me, um, on the show, you can call our number at 347-633-9225 to share your experiences with public schools or private schools or homeschooling. You can also contact our organization, New Heights Education, directly via telephone number 419-786-0247, or you can email us at a later time at newheightseducation.yahoo.com for more information and visit our website at newheightseducation.org. For just general information on our website, on our organization, and upcoming events and or radio shows. Additionally, please remember to push follow us for updates on upcoming shows, or you can visit our website as well to see different host bios and keep track of your favorite shows and favorite hosts. Tutors and teachers are needed in the defiance, uh, in defiance and Putnam County. Anyone that would like to volunteer should contact us directly again at our phone number or at our email. There are also some paid opportunities. We are currently in need of reading tutors at the time. And additionally, New Heights is happy to report that we have found a building for our library. It is located at 201 North Harrison, Sherwood, Ohio. We will be holding an open house soon, and we are very thankful for to Lynn and Kathy Bergman Brian and Brian Core for their kindness and generosity in helping us find a new location for our library. Additionally, congratulations to Pamela Clark, founder and director of New Heights Educational Group, for her nomination in the 2014 the 12th Annual American Business Awards for the category of Executive of the Year for Nonprofit or Government Organizations. She has been named a finalist. This means that independent judges have agreed that these nominations are worthy of national recognition and that nominations will be recognized as gold, silver, and or bronze TV award winners. 
supported 3,300 nominations from organizations of all sizes in virtually every industry were submitted this year for consideration in a wide range of categories. For yearbook and picture day, anyone that missed this and wants to be in the yearbook should contact us immediately to reschedule. You can also submit your own family photos for the yearbook. Now we can begin on our topic of the day, which again is public schools versus private schools and the pros and cons of either option. And as everyone knows, uh, public schools are typically funded by the state, so therefore they are free and private schools are not, and therefore are expensive and can run up to be quite expensive. And so it's very important to consider the benefits um, of private school versus public school for that kind of financial commitment. So the first article that we're going to review is actually an article that provides some data that shows that public schools tend to outperform private schools. And this is an article from educationweekly.org by Holly Yedick. A recent publication of a scholarly book has reopened the debate surrounding the academic achievement of public versus private schools. <laughs> Excuse me. Public schools achieve the same or better mathematics results as private schools with demographically similar students. And this is concluded by the Public School Advantage, Why Public Schools Outperform Private Schools, that was published in November by the University of Chicago Press. The authors are Christopher and Sarah Lubinsky, a husband and wife team of education professors at the University of Illinois at, Urbana, um, at the Urbana Campaign. Central to the controversy is their suggestion that, that vouchers, which provide public funding for private school tuition, are based on the premise that private schools do better, an assumption that is undercut by the book's overall findings. The Lubinsky's analysis draws on data from the 2003 National Assessment of Educational Progress, or the NAEP, as well as the Early Childhood longitudinal study, kindergarten class of 1998 through 1999. After accounting for socioeconomic status, race, and other demographic differences among the students, the researchers found that public school math achievement equaled or outstripped math achievement at every type of private school in grades four and eight on the NAEP. The advantage was as large as 12 score points on a scale of zero to 500, or more than one full grade level. When authors compare public school students with demographically similar fourth grade fourth graders in conservative Christian schools, specifically, the Lubinskis also use NAEP data to conclude that regular public schools outperformed independently operated, publicly funded charter schools in fourth grade math and equaled them in eighth grade math. Finally, the Lubinskis use their longitudinal data to find that public school students started kindergarten with lower math achievement than demographically similar private school peers. However, by the time they reached the fifth grade, they were outperforming those peers in the same subject. On the basis of the data they analyzed, the Lubinskis offer two possible explanations of their findings. First, public school teachers are more likely to be certified, meaning that they're required to continue to, to take professional development courses that expose them to latest research on teaching math. Second, perhaps as a result of that professional development, 
their instructional approaches more closely align with recent studies suggesting that test results improve when students know how to reason and communicate mathematical concepts rather than merely learning to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. Golinski's concludes that private autonomous choice-based schools are not necessarily more innovative or academically effective, but instead often perform at lower levels even as they attract more able students. Their book adds to the growing and controversial body of research questioning the conventional wisdom that private schools are superior to public counterparts. So how are these differences in public and private school calculated? To compare student achievement in public schools and in different types of private schools, researchers recalculated students' math scores to take into account socioeconomic and demographic differences among the students. Statistical adjustments resulted in lower scores for both fourth and eighth grade students in most types of private schools. The one source of contention is that private schools serve a different and often socially and economically more privileged set of students. So efforts to compare the two sectors necessarily require researchers to account for demographic differences between the groups. Different studies. Anytime researchers must consider the, those kind of differences, they face the frustrating reality that results can change dramatically depending on the particular combination of demographic factors that they select and how they use them in their analysis. In 2006, for example, researchers at the Educational Testing Service, the nonprofit Princeton, New Jersey-based organization that administers and contributes to numerous high-profile exams, including the NAEP, reached conclusions similar to the Lubinskys when the ETS scholars used the same 2003 database to conduct an analysis of both reading and math for the Federal National Center for Education Statistics. Shortly after the report was re released, Paul E. Peterson, a professor at Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government, led an analysis in which he used the same data with a different combination of demographic variables. His results suggested that private schools actually equaled or surpassed public schools. It was related to study by Lubinsky's Criticism about demographic factors and other issues have also arisen, this time in a variety of venues, including the National Review, a leading conservative magazine, and The Atlantic, which ran an interview with Elizabeth in October. There are a range of responses to this study. The University of Arkansas scholar J.P. Green, who was once a researcher for the free market-oriented Manhattan Institute for Policy Research, mocked the study on his blog. At the other end of the spectrum, New York University research professor Diane Ralvich, an outspoken critic of school choice, provided a blurb for the book. One of the more detailed critiques appears in the summer edition of the school choice-friendly publication, Education Next. In that article, Patrick Wolf, a professor in the Department of Education Reform at the University of Arkansas at Fayetteville, disputed the idea that the study was even relevant to voucher debate. Voucher recipients make up a tiny fraction of private school students in the data sets and authors in the data sets that authors examine, especially since data predate since the data predates most of what still are very small programs scattered across the country. This also raised several methodological 
issues in the study. For example, he noted that private schools do not necessarily participate in government initiatives, such as free and reduced-priced meal program that the Lubinskys used as one measure of poverty, suggesting that Lubinskys numbers may be inaccurate. As a result, they're biased. They are likely to be biased in the favor of private schools, says Christopher Lubinsky, who countered in response to Mr. Wolf and other critics that was posted on Education Policy Blog in April. That's because no data are available to account for what he describes as one of the biggest differences between public and private schools, which is highly motivated parents. To public and private school children may be identical in every measurable way, from income to race to special education status. However, however, a private school child's family still has demonstrated particular interest in their children's education. By investing time to select a particular private school and the money to pay for tuition, because that family level difference is unmeasured and unmeasurable, the Lewinsky's argue public schools are likely doing even better than the conclusions might suggest. Demographics and how they affected the study. Marcus Weaver Hightower is an associate professor of educational foundations and research at the University of North Dakota, who is familiar with the Lewinsky's work but did not contribute to their book. He commented on some of the points raised in Mr. Wolf's critique. He claims that Wolf is completely right that school one eligibility is a problematic indicator, but not necessarily because it separates private schools from public. And it uh, says Mr. Weaver, who's an expert on lunch food policy in education, <clears throat> how much would kids be further behind without the program and its nutritional benefits? For example, he notes, what about problems in certifying kids accurately, declining participation with age, and so on? Where Wolf's critique is wrong, I think, is that a large number of private schools do actually participate in the National School Lunch Program. For instance, Mr. Weaver says, although private schools are less likely to offer program part research programs, research has found that 94% of all schools, public and nonprofit, private included, do participate. Existing research does not address whether private schools that participate differ from those that don't. In addition to taking the way in which the Lubinskys accounted for demographic differences between the sectors, Mr. Wolf also questioned their use of, narrow, of a narrow definition of school performance that excluded reading results and relied on the use of tests that align more closely with public schools than with private school curricula. This podcast is brought to you by Silicon Valley High School, the world's fastest growing, video based, self paced, teacher supported, fully accredited online school that's recommended by more than 96% of students. Take individual courses at just $95 each or earn your high school diploma at any age. Check us out at svhs.co. In their book, the Lubinskys explain that they focus on math because it is thought to be a better indicator of what is taught by schools than reading, which is more influenced directly by what the child experiences at home. In addition, Lubinskys have said that they limited their study to mathematics because it is their area of expertise, and they did not feel comfortable straying beyond it. Responses to critics. In his response, Mr. Wolf 
to Mr. Wolf, Christopher Lewinsky noted that private schools are represented on expert panels that oversee the creation of exams for both data sets that the Lewinsky study uses. He says are more aligned with public school curriculum, but that's the point. These tests reflect professional expert perspectives on the most effective ways of teaching and learning. Both test makers and public schools have embraced these perspectives more than have private and charter schools. Mr. Weaver Hightower of the University of North Dakota suggested that the Lewinsky's had done a thoughtful job of trying to account for as many complexities as possible. In the end, the study of public versus private schooling is going to be ideologically perfect. It's just too complicated to try to find a definitive answer when the sectors are so diverse and the co-founding factors are so many and the data sets are so limited. So now we're going to talk about some more articles that kind of have a less biased version of private versus public school uh, and the debate that surrounds that. And then we're going to have a little discussion about all this information um, once we reach the end of our show. So this is an article by great school staff trying to get more um, better analysis of the private versus public school debate and some less biased opinions. So the private versus public is a debate that rages across playgrounds and lands of America. In fact, according to a 2009 Great Schools and Harris Interactive poll, nearly one in four parents are currently considering switching their child's school, either from private to public or public to private as a result of the economy. What is better for your child? How can you compare private and public schools when they seem so disparate? And is it comparing apples to oranges, two different things that can't be fairly held to the same standards? The bottom line is that the most obvious discrepancy between public and private schools come down, comes down to the cold, hard cash. The good news for parents is that public schools cannot charge tuition. The bad news is that public schools are complicated, often underfunded operations influenced by political wins and shortfalls. Financed through federal, state, and local taxes, public schools are part of a larger school system, which functions as a part of the government and must follow rules and regulations set by politicians. In contrast, private schools must generate their own funding, which typically comes from a variety of sources, which includes tuition, private grants, and fundraising from parents, alumni, and other community members. For parents, this quickly translates into the bad news, high tuition costs, and sometimes Exhausting work calendar for parent-sponsored fundraisers can become part of private school parents' lives. According to the National Association of Independent Schools, the median tuition for their member private day schools in 2008-2009 in the United States was $17,441. Tuition for boarding schools was close to $37,000. And patriarchal schools are even parochial schools are even more affordable. However, the National Catholic Education Association reports that the mean tuition for parish elementary schools is $2,000 and $6,000 for freshman year of secondary school. The potential benefits of private schools accrue from their independence. Private schools do not receive tax venues so they do not have to follow the same sorts of regulations and bureaucratic cross-govern and sometimes hinder public schools. 
This allows many private schools to be highly specialized, offering differentiated learning, advanced curriculum, or programs geared towards specific religious beliefs. There are exceptions to such generalizations. Charter and magnet schools are increasingly common public schools that often have a special educational focus or theme. The admissions game. Another obvious distinction between public and private schools results from their respective admissions procedures. By law, public schools must accept all children. In many cases, enrolling your child involves a little more than filling out a few forms and providing proof of your address to a local school district office. In practice, however, getting your child into public school of his or her choice can be much more complicated. Because not all public schools have resources for helping students with special needs, enrolling a child with learning disability or disorder may entail a more complex process. Similarly, in school districts with school choice policies, the procedure for finding a public school may require that parents enter a lottery to gain admission for their child into their top pick. Finally, at the high school level, many districts in larger metropolitan areas offer special schools with competitive enrollment based on students' GPA or artistic portfolios. And now to our final article, The Public School Advantage, Why Public Schools Outperform Private Schools. And this is a little bit more on the Levinsky's book. Um, this, this central thing that comes from this is that it is biased, um, but I just thought it was an interesting perspective from the people who conducted the study uh, personally. The author's extensive analysis of two large-scale nationally represented data sets produce results that run counter to both common wisdom and research consensus. Conventional wisdom spread by leading educational reformers, politicians of all stripes, and editorial pages of major newspapers assumes that charters are academically superior. And for 25 years, researchers have largely argued that private school students, too, fare better academically than do their public school counterparts. This finding even has a name, and it's called the private school effect. Private school students do, in fact, score better on tests, but authors wanted to figure out if this advantage is a genuine marker of superior education in private schools or simply an artifact of the more privileged backgrounds of students who attend them. To answer this question, the Levinsky's decided to analyze math achievement scores across both public and private schools. Math, they explain, as we've talked about before is a good indicator of school effectiveness because it is a subject that is primarily learned in school as compared to reading, which tends to be more influenced by what the child is exposed to at home. Echoing the results of other major research studies, the Levinsky report that traditional public schools also hold a slight edge over charters, which are, which are roughly comparable demographically, although charters enroll a large proportion of African-American students. It remains an open question, however, whether charters offer superior education to specific student populations. While the authors find no evidence that charters provide a better education for particular student groups, this year's study from the Stanford Center for Research on Education Outcomes suggests that students in poverty, especially poor African-American students and English language learners, may enjoy more learning gains in charter schools. The Lubinsky has leveraged their findings to take on the basic assumptions of market-driven educational reform. While they're initially hesitant to dismiss reforms inspired by the private sector, their conviction grows over the course of the book such that the last chapter, they state flatly that market-based educational reform is increasingly a belief system rather than a political theory. 
there's no better spokesperson for the bedrock beliefs of market-based educational reformers than Joel Klein, the former New York City School Chancellor. Public education is essentially a government-run monopoly. He states the Atlantic um, states concisely the position of today's market-oriented reformers. Whether school does well or poorly, it will get the students it needs to stay in business because most kids have no other choice. And that, in turn, creates no incentive for better performance, greater efficiency, or more innovation. All things necessary in public education, all things that are as necessary in public education as they are in any other field. Lamenting the lack of accountability in the public school education system, Klein calls for a full-scale transition to a competitive marketplace in which business practices and principles would govern public schools. The Lewinsky's, however, maintain that we are living in an era in which the allure of market is irresistible. It doesn't matter what the problem is, the solution is always market. Consequently, we tend to compare the private sector with the public sector um, in rudimentary terms, where the private sector is lean and the public sector is bloated, where the private sector is minimal and the public sector is slow. For the last several decades, we turned the private sector to fulfill a wide range of public services from corrections to national security to transport to firefighting. So it should not be surprising that recent school reform measures have been dominated by market-based strategies, such as vouchers, charter schools, and merit pay for, for teachers. Finally, the three pillars of market strategy for school performance, according to Lewinsky's, are choice, competition, and autonomy. So to conclude this, uh, there's more to the article, but since we're running out of time, just to talk about this topic a little bit more, we were able to kind of discuss different views on whether or not private and public schools are better. Um, in my personal opinion, I think it depends on the child and their specific needs. Additionally, obviously money is a huge factor, and for those who can't afford public school, um, private school, it's not typically an option. I do think, however, that it is important to note that public schools um, vary very differently compared um, across different districts and different states. And so what may be an excellent public school in one area may be a really terrible public school in another. Additionally, the social culture of the school is very different, I think, versus public and private schools, which can either be a good thing or a bad thing, again, depending on the child and how they associate themselves with different kinds of people. Uh, additionally, if I had a choice for my children, I think I would probably choose something along the lines that I did, which was a public school, but it was a vocational school that focused primarily in sciences and medicine. And more of those schools are popping up nowadays uh, in different districts in which you have to apply to get into those schools. They are still free, however, and they're in their own education district funded by the state. And they can specialize in anything from communications, broadcasting, to science and engineering, to mathematics, to physics, things like that. And I think that that is a more important step um, than having just public and private schools uh, because they're affordable and they are specialized to students uh, who score very well in school and who have particular interests. And so this way, there can kind of be a separation of students in a way that allows students to interact with other students that have similar interests 
and who are similarly motivated and at the same kind of educational or academic level uh, to increase competition among students in a healthy way that allows them to innovate their full potential rather than being very bored or unchallenged in their normal public school environment. And so I feel that the push for funding for those programs should be more um, because I think that they just they do a lot more for the student than public or private schools do. If you do not choose to do a homeschool um, for your child, and so that's my opinion on that. Obviously, it's biased because I did go to one of those schools, but the fact that money is such a huge factor in where your child goes to school, I think that having those public education systems in which you can test into them uh, is very important for those who can't afford privacy. And so thank you so much for listening to me. Next week we will most likely have an interview with um, a woman who is a Holocaust survivor. And so that will be very interesting and very gratifying to talk about. Um, and that will be confirmed later in the week. And look for that on our page at newsteadeducation.org or on blogcockradio.com. Blog com for more information on our next show. Thank you and have a good night. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to rate us and follow us on your podcast player. Check out our show page, radio.newheightseducation.org for monthly announcements and other happenings. Imagine your new bathroom, a sparkling new tub, a modern shower conversion, a seamless new wall, all done in as little as a day. Introducing Bathfitter. Join over 2 million customers delighted with our one-of-a-kind remodeling process. No demolition, no mess. Guaranteed for life. Installed in as little as a day. Book a free in-home consultation at bathfitterpodcasts.com and get our best offer of the year right now. Bathfitter, 35 years of better bath remodels.